0: How many of you have terrifying dog stories from your childhood? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I was a little guy, like in first or second grade in Littlefield, Texas, there was this house I had to walk past on my way home from school every day. And there was a dog at that house, and that dog had my number. I mean, it would chase me every day. And it seemed like the law... I mean, all I had to do was walk along the sidewalk to get from this house to that house, and this house was in the middle, and that dog was in that front yard... And it's like that was the longest sidewalk in the whole walk. It was the longest part of my walk every day was to get past that house with that dog. And I can just distinctly remember, you know, like, you know, you're walking down the sidewalk and you come and you're like, there's that house. And then you come to the, the line of that house and then you just start running as fast as you can to get past that house. That's what I did every day to get past that house. I did not like that dog one single bit. So today in our in our... In our ongoing series of one-liners, we're going to be in a passage that has to do with how we view the dogs in our life. Um, Stephen Cole shares the story about two boys on a sidewalk walking home, and there was a big dog in the sidewalk. <clears throat> and so one boy, they both paused, and you could tell that they both had a, a, a bit of trepidation about this part of their journey And so one boy says, it's not going to bite us. (laughs) That dog is not going to bite us. Look at his tail. It's wagging. That dog's not going to bite us. The other boy said, look at that dog's eyes. That dog has a glimmer in his eye, and he wants to eat us alive. And he said, now which end of that dog do you want to believe? (laughs) Well, today in our story, we are looking at Joseph. Out of chapter 50, if you want to begin to turn there. The story of Joseph is a man whose life was full of big dogs on the sidewalk that forced him more than once to have to decide which end of the dog he was going to believe. His story is one of the great dramas of the Bible. He was a young man um, who was favored by his father and, and consequently was hated by his brothers. And his brothers, that hatred of his brothers, drove them to sell him to a caravan of traders headed for Egypt. And there he sold it to become a slave to Potiphar, a high official in Pharaoh's court. And, and doing what was right there made him, uh, brought him up to where he was a very trusted individual in this man's household and, and t- taking care of all of his stuff there and all. But his wife, Potiphar's wife, attempted to seduce Joseph. But in his faithfulness to his employer, to his master, he resisted that. And so a scorned woman, you know what they say, Uh, So anyway, she made false allegations against him that landed him in prison. Once in prison, he befriended two officials from Pharaoh's court. And in doing so, interpreted a dream for them that resulted in one of them being released to go back to work for Pharaoh. And as he's leaving prison, Joseph implores him and says, Remember me when you're released remember me. Well, that remembrance didn't happen for two more years. Whereupon Pharaoh has a dream, and this court official says, I knew a guy in prison who interpreted dreams. Let's bring him out, clean him up, brush him up, and let him see what he has to say. So Joseph is released to come and interpret the dream. He interprets the dream in such a manner that Pharaoh is impressed with him and. He's released and comes into Pharaoh's court and is made eventually the highest ranking official apart from Pharaoh in that court. Finally, in the closing chapters of Joseph's story, God uses famine to bring his own family, his brothers, into Egypt. They come seeking food during this famine and what they find is a brother they thought was forever gone. Can you imagine that? So let's pick up our story in Joseph, uh, about Joseph in Genesis 50, verse 15. And our verse that we're going to really be looking at and focusing on today is verse 20, verse 15. Then Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. Now, see, Joseph and the, the brothers have already been here. They already know Joseph's there. The father has died, and now they're thinking, oh, no, dad's gone. Joseph's on the loose. We're all in trouble now. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Now, interesting right there. That verse right there, If you, you have to go all the way back to chapter 37 to start the story of Joseph. But what was one of the dreams? What was the dream that got Joseph in trouble? Oh, all of you are going to bow down to me. Now, obviously, that dream did not come true immediately. It didn't come true next month, next year, but here we are. All of these men now are later in life, and they have bowed down before their brother. So verse 18, let me re- reread that. Then his brothers also came to him and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. And as for you, this is our verse. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. How does a prison how does a person go through such hard times, unjust circumstances, pain, suffering, sorrow, cancer? and not find that bitterness and anger defines them now we probably know somebody that that's true of and that somebody might be in this room today that bitterness and anger has defined them because of their life circumstances because of things that other people did to them just because of circumstances how did joseph not turn out that way But it's not just Joseph. It's just not that that a singular person was able to escape bitterness and anger. But there have been many, many people that we've read of, that we know of through literature, through history, and perhaps in our own lives who have been able to escape angerness and bitterness and found forgiveness and peace in life when they've been done wrong. I think that the answer lies in our thinking. I think that a person who has allowed God and His Spirit and His Word to transform them is someone who's convinced that they must trust that God is sovereign and that God is good in every circumstance. Now, is that a stretch or not? Yeah. It's a stretch. When we lose a child, it's a stretch when we lose a sibling or parent. It's a stretch when we get a diagnosis that's life-threatening. To think, explain to me one more time how this is good and God has a plan. It really goes back to our thinking because last week we talked about what we expect of God. Because in, from God, we expect Him to always be giving us nothing but good because we are basically good people. You remember that discussion last week? And so these, these, these thoughts are connected and that here we are, and we must trust that God is sovereign and that he's good. Because it'd be one thing, there are many people who believe he's sovereign, but he's not good. There are many people who would say, yeah, he's sovereign, he controls that, and he just kind of pulls our strength, and, and we end up just doing whatever, you know, we have no, no choice, no free will, we have no say in this, you know, it's just God's doing his own thing, he's not good to us. And yet this morning, I believe that Joseph's story, and I believe that Scripture challenges us to to believe that God, God is not only sovereign and in control, but he is good in every circumstance. One of the mistaken theologies that we have in our church, I believe, is that all trials are from the devil. And so where do we get that? Well, we get that from Job, right? Well, because the devil did all that. What we often forget is who gave the devil permission to do all that? god and so what we often believe is that all trials are from the devil and that a good god would never send trials to his children and so when we're hit by a trial when we have hard things happen to us when there's sickness or difficulty or um, somebody doesn't like us anymore or they even really attack us not just not like us but they attack us and when there's financial setback we're supposed to rebuke the devil and claim our victory by faith That means it's kind of like, you know, when you play a country western music backwards, you know, you get the dog back, you get your wife back, you know, everything comes back to normal. Everything comes back the way you want it. When you do that, when you trust God and you claim by faith that he's good, that everything turns around and boom, we're back where we started and everything's good. But that's not the case. If we don't experience all that stuff to come back into a groove here, and, and we're and we not getting, like, you know, our, our most productive, best life in this moment, well then obviously, I have bad faith. Or the thing we're thinking is, God is not good. That's what we're thinking, whether we say it or not. Is he really good? I believe that this is a faulty way of understanding hardship. And I believe that really what we have to do is we have to see that God is sovereign over everything, even over the evil things that people do. Because that was Joseph's story time and again. God is sovereign over everything and even over all the evil things that people do. There are many, many of us that have been harmed by others. Sometimes that has happened Because they've made choices that harm us. They didn't reach out and and deliberately strike at us, but their choices were hurtful to us and damaged us and made our life more difficult. We see that, especially in the choices of family members, all the time. But at the same time, there are choices that people make that are intentional, that are harmful, that are painful. All the time. And again, it is most painful when it's family members. There are many of us who have been hurt by family members. And Joseph's story demonstrates that we have to believe there is a divine and deeper meaning in these troubles if we are going to get through them without being defined by anger and bitterness. We have to believe that there's a divine, a God-designed and deeper meaning in all of these hardships of our lives. That He is in control. That He is sovereign over every circumstance. So, matter of fact, F. B. Meyer even says says if even if you cannot see the divine meaning, dare to believe that it's there. Isn't that great? Even if you can't see the meaning, dare to believe that it's there. Dare to believe that it's there. God is sovereign over our family members who have harmed us, just like he was sovereign over Joseph's family. And yet their actions, while meant for harm, God used for good. God is sovereign over people who willfully sin, just like Samson, who willfully sinned by marrying a Philistine woman. His actions set up an opportunity to save the Philistine, uh, to have victory over the Philistines. It's important to believe that God is sovereign not only over major things that happen, but also over all the daily, mundane, stub-your-toe kind of stuff that happens in a day. Car problems, traffic jams, interruptions, clogged drains, sick kids, and a million other little frustrations that happen every single day. From the moment you put your feet on that cold tile floor to the moment you lay your head on that soft pillow, life is full of that stuff. Is he sovereign over that or not? Does he have a purpose in that or not? And is he good in every single one of those circumstances? It's so easy to believe that God is good in everything except for when it involves me. It's so easy to believe that God is good in everything when everything is good. But would we be so quick to shout and to thank God like we have done today if God's report had not been good? Was God still sovereign? Was he any less good if God had come to us this week and said, we got bad news? We've all been there. We've all received the bad news. Was God still good then? It's very easy to believe that when he heals us of our cancer, that he was good. When he brings back a family member, that he's good. When we get our job back, that he's good. Was he good when we lost our job? Was he good when we got the diagnosis? Is he the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow or not? You see, when we're confronted with these things, we just take them in stride. We think, okay, fine, we'll figure this out. And we get angry, we get bitter, we pray about it. But really what we have to think is, like, is God the same? What do I believe about God in this moment? Because yesterday, when it was such a great day, I believed he was really good. Do I still believe that today? Because if I can't say that today, he didn't change. Who changed? Me. I did. I did. So, is he good every day? Is he good in every circumstance? Is he good in every diagnosis? Is he good with every bank statement or not? He is. And if he is, then what needs to change? Us. Our perspective, our understanding of him, our understanding of how he works. There is nothing and no one who can thwart God's sovereignty, his loving purpose toward you and I in Christ. No one, nothing. It doesn't matter how bad it may seem. Those circumstances do not define him. And what he's longing for and what Joseph was able to do was that they didn't define him either. And he longs for us to not be defined by them Either. So God is sovereign in every circumstance and good in every circumstance. And so now we come to this place where do we, do we really believe that every day? Do we know that? Do we know that? Here's this verse here that we claim an awful lot. We, we claim an awful lot. Matter of fact, if you search Romans 8... Immediately, 28 comes up. Boom. Must mean someone has searched for it, right? And we know that God causes all things to work to good for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Paul says that we should know. He says we should know that, and we know that. There are many things that we are clear on there's a lot of things we can disagree about there's a lot of things we can have a different interpretation on or a different conviction about can i drink can i drink no can i do this or can i do that and there's a lot of points and you know what you and i are going to differ about them and i'm going to say god loves you god loves me we're still good with each other we believe different about that there's a lot of unclarity about that that's good to go but there's one thing we need to know there's one thing we need to know is he good is he in control does he work it all out We need to know that. We need to be absolutely clear about that. We must know with absolute clarity that God is at work and in control. And he can be trusted for the outcome. Can you imagine that that's what Joseph was thinking? You know, that's what Corey ten Boom was thinking. That's why we have these saints throughout history who were in terrible circumstances. And they were under the conviction. And they knew. They knew That he was at work and he could be trusted for the outcome. Did that mean that they knew they'd be released? Did that mean that they knew that they would get good health? Did that mean that they knew that everything would turn their way? No, but they knew that he could be trusted with the outcome. So we must know that all things are going to work for the good. We must know that God is using everything in life, the good and the bad, for his ultimate glory. And he has divine plans for that. And whether it is in this life or the next, he is working it out for good for you and I. The big picture in Joseph's case, God's sovereign plan. God had a plan for the world. And in order for him to fulfill that plan for the world, he had chosen a nation, Israel. And in order to fulfill the plan for that nation, Israel, he had a plan for Joseph. And when everything tied together, he took his plan, his people, when it looked like they could starve to death in that chosen land, and he drew them out with this chosen man, and he brought them to this other place, and he made provision for them. Do you think Joseph saw that? Do you think that when he was first thrown in the pit, that he saw that it was going to work out? I would venture to say he thought, this is my brothers again. We've done this before. Maybe not the pit, but, you know, they've been through these kind of things before. But when those traders came through and he was thrown on the back of that camera or whatever and towed it off into the distance, I bet he wouldn't go, they're going to turn around in a minute. We've done this before. When he was sold into slavery into Potiphar's house, he didn't sit there and think, you know what, this is going to work out fine. I'll put this on my resume. And when he resisted the, the, uh, the, the advances of his master's wife, he thought he didn't think this would work out fine. My master would believe me over her. When he was tossed in prison, he didn't, you know, he didn't think all those things. He didn't see how it was going to work out, but he believed that he could trust in a God who was working things out, even though he didn't see the outcome he believed in that God. We've seen family hatred, a false accusation, a forgetful friend, and a famine. And God used all those things to, figure, to work it out for Joseph. What Joseph didn't see was that his being in Egypt saved that family who was going to be the seed of a nation, a great nation, And then just a couple generations later, there would be two million ancestors of his, two million descendants of his who would be called out of captivity by another guy who didn't see the big picture but was working God's big plan. And so Moses was brought out of egypt and he brought all those people with him into a promised land and moses didn't think you know what this is going to work great it's about a 30-day journey from here to there and we'll be there tomorrow this is going to be great this is a great plan god you're really working a good one 40 years later he was on the verge of getting to go in when he found out he still wasn't going in 40 more years and then he still didn't go in because of his own sin but god had a plan moses didn't see all of it but god had a plan And Joshua came in underneath him. And Joshua was the one who led him in. And Joshua is seeing victory after victory go before them. And he's thinking, this is a great plan, Lord. And you just see how it continues to go. Domino after domino, knocking over the next one that knocks over the next one. Until they have knocked over generations, thousands of years. Till we come here to a day when we're praying over one man who has cancer. And how is God going to work that out? We don't know. He doesn't know. He might, the way he eats, he might outlive all of us. But what we do know is this. In the working of these past five months, people have heard the gospel who had never might have heard it before. People have trusted in the gospel who might never have trusted before. Me, I can speak for myself. My faith has been stretched in such a way that I do, I believe that this is going to work out good for all of us. What's this going to look like? And I can't venture but say that I just think that there's a lot of us in this room who said, "Uh, is this still good? What do I believe? The trickle down of his experience into our lives and then what it will do for our lives. What it will do for people who come in behind us. It goes out into tentacles. It goes out into places that we will never see with our eyes. But only eternity will prove its purpose. And only eternity will prove God's plan. Only eternity. And today, tomorrow, five months ago, it didn't look like a good plan. It didn't look like a plan I wanted to be a part of. Because I was looking at it with my eyes. I was looking at it with my tiny faith. I was looking at it with how it was going to play out for us. And in God's plan, he's like, I've got an eternal plan here. And this dude and you people, you'll be that much of the plan. We're going to be moving right along into eternity. Is he good? Do we know? Do we believe it? The Lord doesn't con- condone evil. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't even look for bad things to happen. But he overrules evil. He overrules, he, he captures bad things and he accomplishes his purpose in it. And in Joseph's case, this is exactly what God did to fulfill those dreams of bowing down to his brother in the past. When we believe these two things, God is sovereign and good, then it doesn't matter What big dog is on the sidewalk? Wagging his tail or gleaming his teeth? We know that God is in control and God is good.